0: Hello and welcome to the Chronically Well podcast. I'm Callie Hunter, your host, and you may have noticed that it's been a good hot minute since I have come out with an episode. That's been purposeful, and actually today's episode is going to explain my absence just a bit. Today I interview Ben Page, He is an association of nature and forest therapy guide. He's also a mentor and trainer for the program. He's the founder of Shinrin Yoku LA. He's the director for training for ANFT guides and programs. He's also the co-founder of the open school. He's featured in things like, oh, I don't know, Women's Health, U.S. Today, Good Morning America, The Washington Post. He has been sharing the message of forest therapy and training people how to do it for years now. So I am so thankful to have been on the podcast today, and I'm really excited for you to learn from the man himself what forest therapy is why so many people are finding it helpful, some of the health benefits, and not just that, but sort of this shift in our culture, hopefully through almost through COVID and just recently in our lives, realizing the enormous disconnect that we have from nature and in a sense, a disconnect from ourselves. So hang tight. I'm really excited for all of you to hear from Ben today. There are direct links in the show notes to Ben's information, where you can find him, find out more about him. There are links to some of the research that we discussed today. And also a link to my new website that features forest therapy and walks that I will be doing and partnerships in the area. So be sure to check those out. All right. Time to check in with Ben. Welcome to the Chronically Well
1: podcast. I am back after a long break with Ben Page. Ben, thank you so much for being here. I so appreciate you kind of helping me come back to the podcast world with helping explain why I was gone.
2: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: Before we begin, though, I always like for my guests to have an opportunity to share a bit about themselves. So apart from, you know, forest bathing and all of the things we're going to be talking about today, who is Ben? Where do you live? who's in your life, who do you love, why are you here? Just a little bit about you for
2: everyone. Who is Ben? That's such a good question. I know,
1: it's actually really not a very good intro question. It kind of takes you right.
2: Yeah, you know, I'll just give you a few things. Let's see, well, I live in Los Angeles. I joke that I'm a coastal person. I grew up on the East Coast and then I did my undergraduate on the Fresh Coast, which is what they call the Great Lakes region. And then I moved to the West Coast and I've been here about 13 years. I live with my husband. And currently we have one cat. We have kind of an obsession with cats. So we are always trying to adopt more and more cats. But right now it's just the one. And he doesn't like sharing space with other cats. So we're going to let him rule the house for a little while. And yeah, let's see. I don't know. I I love music. I've been teaching myself how to DJ. I'm trying to learn how to play the piano. <laughs> um, and yeah, just... um. I guess the the thing that I love about the music is it's kind of, or the DJing is like curating these aesthetic sensory experiences. So basically anything having to do with that. So like cooking or clothes or art or whatever it is, I'm down for all that.
1: I love it. To catch everyone up who's listening, Ben was one of my trainers through the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy. Hey everybody! I am now a forest therapy guide, and I've been absent from doing the podcast for a while because I've been focusing on that training. So I thought, what better way to come back than to have Ben kind of explain what forest therapy is? So we're going to start with this question because I just we're we're gonna we're gonna go into the forest therapy thing, but I really loved on one of your online platforms, I don't remember which one, I super stock my guests before I held them on. So, um, but you had that your primary interest is to live the question of what it feels like to be alive. I loved that. And I was just wondering if you could share a little bit more.
2: Yeah, I feel like when, when I say that phrase, the emphasis is on the word feel. Oh, so there's this Joseph Campbell quote that I love. He says, I don't think people are looking for the meaning of life as much as they're looking for the experience of being alive. Mm -hmm. And this quote really informs a lot of my personal practice and my interpretation of forest bathing, forest therapy, which is, it's not discursive. It's not about generating meaning. It's not about having kind of a, a, a mind centered experience. It's about feeling enmeshed in the world around us. And that has this quality for me of what we might call aliveness. Like thinking about aliveness is not aliveness. Right. It's abstract. We're one layer separated from the raw experience, the phenomenon that we're actually thirsty for, which is to feel alive. So we spend so much of our time trying to figure out who we are and what's the meaning of life that we become numb and we become desensitized to what it actually feels like to be alive and i find that oh, we're going to go into the deep end right away here
1: yeah let's go let's go dive
2: it's kind of this like ego narcissism problem of our culture we're just very obsessed with the concept of ourselves we want to <laughs> we want to know thyself you know we really want to have this incredible relationship with the ego to figure it all out. And then for me, there's kind of this thing underneath all of that ego stuff. There's this what I am, not who I am. And the what I am is essentially nature. I'm an ecosystem. This body is an ecosystem. And it's enmeshed in all the ecosystems around it. And the way that we experience that enmeshment is not through the mind. It's through the body. So when I talk about that phrase, and then this kind of segues into forest bathing forest therapy yeah it's about embodiment that's really what it's about i think this is what differentiates forest bathing from eco psychology which to be totally clear i think is great and has an important place and it's an important part of the whole like ecosystem of eco wellness eco spirituality all these things but forest bathing is not eco psychology because it's not about the mind it's not about having this relationship that's abstracted it's about not only experiencing nature, but about being nature.
1: I love that. I think that was honestly the hardest part and the best part about the training for me was getting out of my head. Yeah. <laughs> I was continuing, I think we had a session where we talked specifically about that and that was just mind blowing for me. <laughs> not my, getting out of the mind <laughs> and going it's
2: into part, the- body. part opening.
1: Part opening. Yeah.
2: There's this one capping phrase I really like that just it's just four characters. It says mind empty, heart open. So that's kind of the feeling, I think, you know, that's what we're talking about when we say that feeling of aliveness. It's mind empty, heart open.
1: So good. I think that's what so many people are looking for, too. Our minds are so full.
2: Yeah. I mean, we've we've become incredibly addicted to stimulation. Mm -hmm. And I'm like this, too. It's it's something I struggle with constantly where so last night I went to a restaurant and I had made a reservation for two. It's like a nice restaurant somewhere you take like a date or your friends or whatever. And my dinner date uh, had something come up last minute, but I was like, I like this restaurant. I'm just going to go there. And I sat myself down and I said, okay, my intention is to never be on my phone for this entire meal. And it was really interesting because normally when you go like, to dinner with another person, you, your attention, your focus is on them and on what you're talking about. So you're having a cognitive experience. You know, You're, you're hearing and you're talking and you're listening and you're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Sitting in this restaurant with the intention of not being on my phone, it was like, wow, I'm really here but yeah. it was still hard not to go for the phone because there are these moments of boredom you don't feel stimulated you don't feel like there's anything happening yeah. and we experience that boredom kind of as pain i think like this is how addicted we are to the stimulation of our modern technology is it hurts to not be stimulated and so like when i wait in line for coffee i have this game i play where i'm like how many people are on their phone how many people can't be unoccupied for three to five minutes, and it's almost everyone. And when I go to work on college campuses, it's literally everyone.
1: Even I mean, you say like even when people when you when you're out to dinner with someone, you're you're engaged. But I've noticed my my game is looking around and seeing how many people are there together, but not like they're they're talking, but they're not. They're on their phones. Like right, yeah. There's really a loss of connection there too, but.
2: Yeah, that our, our addiction to stimulation even kind of supersedes our need for a relationship. That's a good point.
1: Yeah. And we're sucked into these phones that are actually taking us from what we need.
2: But. Exactly. Well, they're taking us away from here and now, yeah. which is all we really have anyway.
1: <laughs> it's true. <terrible. laughs> love it. Okay. So, speaking of here and now, forest therapy, mindfulness walks, there's a lot of buzz words going on with that. And I know a lot of times when I tell people I'm becoming a forest therapy guide, they say, oh, that's cool. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> so if you could, just to kind of get us rolling on, on and some background on what forest therapy is, this can be however you want to describe it, you know, 10,000 foot view or as intricate as you'd like to get with the details. But I just met you and I'd love to know, Ben, what's forest therapy?
2: Oh, well, this is also a very interesting question because it's kind of about knowing your audience. Because people come into the practice for very different reasons. For some people, this is really a physical health practice. It's something where they either are a cancer survivor or someone going through cancer or someone who wants to boost their immune system against cancer in the future. Some people come into it, that's really their thing. They're really fascinated by the science of it and It is that, right? It is multiple things. It's not just one thing. It's how you see it. So some people come into it, and I think this is actually the majority of people come into it for the mental health piece. So one way I describe forest bathing, forest therapy is three hours without needing to think about anything. And how incredibly restorative that is. And, you know, a lot of people sometimes they'll say, well, why would I pay you to do that? Like, that's crazy. You're going to like have me kind of just do nothing for three hours. I'm like, no, see, that's the thing is if you could go into the woods for three hours and not basically just be on your phone the whole time or be in your head thinking about how stupid this is or like, oh, I, I could be I could be more productive or like, oh, what do I have to do tomorrow? Like, oh, you know, like we just fill The emptiness so readily. So as a guide, I can create this container for you to experience a space where it's much easier for you to not think about that because I'm helping you focus on the experience of your body. That's the other piece of it. It's an embodiment practice. It's a somatic practice. Getting out of our heads, we now understand that basically the mind is constantly generating thought. This is where like Buddhism and neuroscience touch each other. It's kind of fascinating. It's like, okay, we understand that the mind generates thought constantly. The first important thing to recognize is that you are not your thoughts. That's the first like really crazy things. Okay, you're not your thoughts. You are witnessing your thoughts. And then the second piece has to do with what we call the attention. And I like to describe the attention as this flashlight that can only shine on one thing at a time. So over here, you have your thoughts. And over here you have your body. And when we can learn how to shift the flashlight away from the thoughts, the thoughts are still generating, they're still there, but our attention is not placed on them. And so we can experience like a state of consciousness that is not how we normally are. And this is very restorative because basically our attentions are fried. We're focused too much, too long, too hard. Our brains aren't meant for it. I'm gonna help you chill out. The third class of people that come to forest bathing, forest therapy, has to do more with this relationship with the more than human world nature the earth, however you want to describe it. And that's something where like, you know, one of my favorite phrases that I I don't know at this point, whether I made this up or not, is you can't open a rose with a crowbar.
1: made it up. We'll say you did.
2: What I mean by that is just that you can't force something beautiful to happen. And I Mm -hmm. think of a relationship as being this thing of beauty. So a lot of people, I think we're all born with this relationship. We're all born like pre-egoic creatures. We don't start with this identity. We start as a body. We start as nature. And as nature, we're learning to experience ourselves as nature in this very sophisticated way. And then at some point, the ego comes in. I won't go down that rabbit hole quite yet. But just to say that we all started with this relationship. And so it's not that you're learning something new, it's that you're remembering something that you always had. And to tap into that, we have to go into kind of a pre-logical, pre-verbal, pre-egoic state of experience. And that's what the sensory experience is, that we're just here and now, we're in our bodies. And when we're in the here and now, these relationships can just organically blossom it's nothing that needs to be pushed or forced. So when I talk to people about forest bathing who are maybe like a little bit cynical about all of this, there's this quote from this man named Gus Speth. He was like a top environmental advisor to the White House for several administrations. And he has this great quote about, I used to think that our biggest environmental problems were you know, global warming, ocean acidification, and habitat loss but now i understand our biggest environmental problems are actually greed apathy and selfishness and to address that we need more than science i think that's really an interesting piece of all this is that beyond the health benefits of forest bathing there's this thing about people actually you could say different ways falling in love feeling connected to Feeling related to when they have that experience, which I think is not an intellectual one, it's a somatic one. We might start seeing our entire existence as beings in the web of life very differently, you know? And I don't think there's any amount of like bullying people or shaming them for their choices or policies that the government can create. If we are serious about having a shift in our relationship with the earth, it starts at this emotional level. It starts with actually feeling something, because most of us are numb, essentially. And the numbness just comes from that overstimulation, that addiction to the abstract, to the thoughts, to the content. I love how people are addicted to content. Yummy, yummy content. Give me more, give me more. Cool. There's that great Bo Burnham thing about, you know, I'm daddy made you some content or whatever. It's true. <laughs> it's it's yeah. totally true.
1: Yeah. So good. I love the aspect. I never really considered the aspect of relationship until the training too. And that's been really powerful for me. And you add the guy watching, watching that relationship develop and people saying, oh, I haven't been outside in 15 years like this. And I miss it. And then asking for places to go. And it's just like, oh, I had no idea. I had no idea that it would facilitate that. Right. So many of the people who listen to this podcast are probably more in that first group. So a lot of them deal with chronic illness or chronic pain. So this place I've, you know, kind of tried to cultivate into a place where people can come and find some hope, find some answers for, okay, I'm not going to just sit and be miserable. What are some things I can actually do to help myself? And... What I love about forest therapy is that it, it encompasses, you know, not just the mental health but the physical health, everything. You know, so I I, I love that you talk about in your book. It's called Healing Trees: A Pocket Guide to Forest Bathing, which I will put the link. In the show notes for anyone who is interested in reading it, I have read it. It's fantastic. Um, And it does give you a good snapshot of kind of what forest bathing is, if you would like to look a little further after our podcast today. But you say in there about diseases of civilization. Can you talk a little bit more about that and why bathing ourselves in the trees is a solution?
2: Yeah, I mean, the easiest way to describe this is essentially that human beings have lived 99.9% 99.9% of their evolutionary history outside, right? So as time goes forward, part of the way that our you know global biology evolves is it co-evolves, that beings evolve together and they figure out ways to exist that are mutually beneficial to each other. So this is where the relationship with the trees comes in. And we can talk a little bit about the health benefits and the anti-cancer research on trees but essentially human beings lived with trees for thousands and thousands and thousands of years and our bodies have figured out how to capitalize on the health benefits of being around these trees so i always have this funny like trippy thought about you know what was it like to be in that first generation of humans who said let's live inside And it probably started with like a cave or something, you know, let's let's be in the cave. And then at some point someone figures out how to build something. And it must've been amazing. I mean, it must've been really incredible to have a space that you feel safe in. Mm -hmm. I understand psychologically why we want to be like in a safe place. We wanna feel safe in our homes and having a structure really helps with that, right? But essentially now we spend all of our time in our homes. We never leave our home. We don't really expose ourselves to beings like trees, let alone other things like clean air, soil, waters, sunlight, you know, all these things that we essentially physically need them to be healthy. And I don't think this is like a misty woo-woo kind of thing. (laughs) It's literally something we all can accept that, you know, biologically we are enmeshed with nature. So our health is interconnected with the health of the planet, that we can't be healthy on an unhealthy planet. This is part of our big awakening, right? (laughs) It feels silly to think of it like that because it feels so obvious, right? But essentially, the disease of civilization is we don't move our bodies very much anymore. We spend a lot of time sitting and sitting on chairs that we're not really designed to sit on. (laughs) And we don't spend time in nature. And when we do, we don't engage it in a very restful way. I guess the other disease of civilization that this is kind of part of that mind-body connection as it relates to health is that we're experiencing a state of essentially just chronic stress that almost every single person I know says that they're stressed out basically all the time. And we understand now that while it's really cool that you can like get an uber or you know order a pizza or whatever it is we are so hyper stimulated that our bodies are not resting so we're not digesting our food properly we're not getting good sleep like all these things kind of stem from like yeah this disease of civilization or even the disease of affluence that yeah we don't need to use our bodies in the way that they're designed to be used anymore So we don't because it's much easier to just outsource all of that to apps and machines and all that so you know the interesting thing about the research is it's kind of like you don't have to go live in the woods like the japanese research often talks about benefits coming from just like three hours it's either three hours a week or three hours bi-weekly it's like not that much time And that's a funny thing, too, because people sometimes tell me they come to my walk. I'll say, you know, what brought you to the walk? They'll say, well, I needed the accountability. I needed to put this in my schedule and say, I'm going to spend three hours outside today. Because otherwise, you just don't. You just fill it up with other stuff.
1: It it was interesting as I started learning about the research within forest therapy, too. So I, I was way big into so I'm a, I'm a psychologist, so I'm, I'm a dork with like the parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system. And as I was healing from my bladder disease, I read a book, Natalie Rathman, I think. I'll, I'll link it. But she's, she was a doctor and she talks about how there can be like these spontaneous remissions and how we really never give ourselves an opportunity to heal because our bodies are always in that sympathetic, like always in that state of stress and, and yep. actually – the only time our bodies can heal is when the parasympathetic nervous system isn't engaged. Right. I don't know why that was so mind blowing for me when I was going through that process, but I was like, "Oh my god!" Like that's that's what I need to focus in on is just actually giving myself a chance, right? To rest, you know, do that. And so when you started talking about that with all the other research, that was that was pretty interesting to me just to see that oh that's why nature that's why that was so helpful for me
2: yeah I mean nature is very relaxing and then there's also kind of this thing about this is again where there's the utility of having a guide because they will take all of the stress that you might otherwise have completely off the plate so you can become really really relaxed because you don't need to be thinking about where you are or what's coming up next or what you're doing And most of forest therapy is so gentle that essentially people just kind of slowly sink into that state of embodied relaxation. You don't have to try. And it's interesting that so much of healing culture is kind of oriented around action, where it's like, go do this, go do that. Mm. Yeah. And then when, yeah, like you say, sometimes the thing we need most is really the ability to stop. And that's not something that people have a good, easy time with.
1: No, it's the hardest, especially for our culture. I did want to share too, if you could share a little bit about the phytoncides and what is the whole deal with bathing, bathing in some, there's these chemicals. Can you explain a little bit about what happened?
2: Yeah. So this kind of ties into the history of the practice. So in the 1980s, the Japanese were experiencing this huge tech boom which brought on this massive wave of urbanization. And so all of these people were moving from the rural prefectures into the cities. And the cities had a lot of kind of environmental pollution problems and a very stressful work culture, basically just work constantly, right? So you combine the extreme stress with the lack of nature in the cities, and people started getting sick. So the government noticed this huge spike in cancer and autoimmune disease, and they essentially recognized it as a public health crisis, and they set their what is kind of like their federal agencies into action about doing research and figuring out what we can do about this. So the Japanese Department of Agriculture, Forestry, and Fisheries began this project they called Shinjin-yoku, Forest Bathing, and essentially their research question was just What is the physiological effect of exposing humans to trees? And one thing that they learned is that trees release these chemicals called phytoncides and phytoncides are essentially the tree's immune system. They're antibacterial, antimicrobial, antifungal chemicals. So if a fungus, let's say, is attacking the tree, the tree diffuses these phytoncides into the air around it and showers its trunk and all its leaves it showers itself in these phytoncides and they find that fungus and they kill it so they preserve the life of the tree now like i was telling you about the co-evolution of human trees humans have this amazing superpower where we can absorb phytoncides through respiration or just through the skin and when we absorb sides, it triggers the production of this special white blood cell called an NK cell or natural killer cell. So NK cells are part of your innate immune system, which means they're not looking for specific diseases, they're looking for stressed cellular growth in the body. And the thing about stressed cellular growth is that those are the cells that can turn into cancer and then metastasize and spread through the body. So essentially these NK cells are looking for what can turn into cancer and eliminating it preventatively. So that kind of opened the door to just an unbelievable amount of research about the medical effects. You know, this thing in Japan, it's kind of a big umbrella, they call it forest medicine, and that includes shindin-yoku and also several other modalities, but all coming back to this question about how can humans be healed simply by spending time in the forest? It turns out in the case of the Japanese, it's kind of an interesting story because there was actually two crises brought on by urbanization. The first was the public health crisis, but the second one was since everyone left the rural prefectures, there was no economy there anymore. Basically, all the young men, all the young people had to move to the city to make money. And so they left basically the very young children and the elderly in these rural prefectures. So the government built these forest therapy roads or forest therapy bases, depending on which translation you like. And essentially they built, you can go there by train. So, you know, you can take a 24 hour, 48 hour journey from the city to one of these forest therapy camp bases, roads, and you just immerse yourself in nature for a couple of days. And they find that your immune system goes way up. So that's just one of many, many, many things that's kind of fascinating about The medical side of this work.
1: I love that. And I love that what the trees use to protect themselves, we get to go be a part of that. And that would be my next question is, what would be the difference between sort of the Japanese, you say it different than I did. I've always said (laughs) yoku, but it shouldn't
2: Yeah, it's kind of hard. This sound doesn't really exist in English. It's like Uh, like a D or a J or a Y, like all mashed together. I don't know. Xinjin. That's my best best attempt, I should say. I I I think it's good. I
1: think it's great. (laughs) I I try. For someone who is wanting to start this practice, who maybe doesn't have a guide nearby, where would you tell them to start? What's something that they could implement right away?
2: The easiest thing is what we call sit spot, which I know you're very familiar with. It's essentially just finding a place outside and sitting there for like 20, 30 minutes. And I think it's the best if you can leave your phone inside or in your backpack or whatever, just finding a way to have space from it. And sit spot's kind of interesting because I feel like The first 15 minutes for most people are kind of like hell it it brings us up against so much of the challenge of our our modern attention addiction crisis that it's like you know i imagine your viewers sitting somewhere and saying like damn you ben page like this is horrible you know you're you're gonna be in your head for a little while you're gonna think like this is really dumb or like i'm wasting my time this is crazy and then basically what happens i think is you you exhaust your attention like your need to be stimulated you stop thinking entirely at some point and once that happens you enter this state of what might be called deep attention Suddenly you you look down. I've had so many experiences like this where I'll be sitting there for 15 or 20 minutes and then I look down and there's something really amazing I'm sitting right next to it and I haven't noticed until that. Maybe it's like a tiny flower or a little rock or it could be anything, right? You just start noticing the world around you and then you become incredibly curious about it and it becomes incredibly pleasurable to just be there and you don't feel like you need to be on your phone you feel connected to this place and like you're absorbing it and it's absorbing you you start hearing the sounds of this place a lot of people i tell them just do it in your backyard you know don't don't burden yourself too much with going somewhere incredible you can do this literally anywhere and it's amazing cuz you'll be like oh my god i've lived here for years and i've never noticed any of this i've never noticed these sounds before i've never noticed these smells these textures these sights beings that are living there with you. It's also kind of neat that there's this thing about sit spot where if you sit still, animals will become a little less scared of you. It makes sense. Basically, if you're tromping around through the forest, they're all going to run away, right? They're scared. If you just sit very still, they become curious about you and then they start coming closer this is like that thing in the octopus teacher movie. Did you see that?
1: I haven't. No, I've.
2: Yeah, to. it's like this thing where he the octopus kind of is hiding like in a little rock crevice thing and. Basically, he just he does sit spot just underwater, basically just like waiting and waiting. And then the octopus notices that this thing isn't hunting him. It's not trying to hurt him. And the octopus gets really curious. And then these two beings become friends with each other, which is like, I mean, that's like the best you can hope for, right? But it is one of those things where you'll, you'll start becoming, you'll start having a more deep relationship with the place where you're sitting. And this is not something you do once, right? You do sit spot, you can do it once a week, once a day, I mean, however much time you got, right? But the more you do it, you start really understanding the land around you. You start seeing the seasons, you start seeing like the stars and the phases of the moon and all this, all these beings that we're living with, you start kind of mapping yourself into a circular rhythm of time. That's very, I think it's very welcoming. It's like, oh, I'm also part of this. Like, I'm not separate from all this. This is all happening. I'm enmeshed in this. It so all, yeah. I just tell people, if you want to start simple, just do that. And then the other fun thing I tell people is, like, I, I joke, you know what TLDR is? It's uh, an abbreviation for too long, didn't read. And people will basically give you, like, one sentence that describes a whole book, you know? Yeah. So the, the TLDR of my book is, like, go outside. hmm don't forget to smell things like that's it. You know, Just like, take a walk. Don't try to get anywhere. Don't forget to smell things. Don't forget to touch things. And that all by itself, that, that's gonna, that can start your practice. You know,
1: I think a lot of people like for me, it's like, you, you're waiting for something. And I think when oh. you're waiting for the something to happen, that's when you it's like you're in your head again. Right. I, I love that aspect of what we, to, as guides, is trying to bring people into their senses. So we don't have the opportunity to be like, is the amazing thing happening yet? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> right. in the
2: future? Yeah. Well, that's the interesting thing where it's like people have this tendency to want to analyze their experience instead of just experiencing it. Yes. So, you know, you feel the wind, and some people it's like, Do I like this? Do I not like this? What does the wind mean? What is the messages of the wind? What's the wind carrying? Where are the winds coming from? What kind of wind is it? So now we've wrapped all of these cognitive things around the experience and it takes us further away from that really raw experience itself of just feeling it, just feeling it with no need to analyze it, just having that experience being there. That's that thing about feeling alive again. It's like, it's not abstract. It's not a layer removed about your opinion or your analysis of it. And this is also where kind of the line comes for me with eco-psychology where it's like, and to reiterate, both great, yeah.
0: both great, not, yeah. not a
2: criticism, mm-hmm. just saying the eco-psychology does a really nice job of analyzing the experiences, you know, it's like, I did a lot of work in in these kind of spaces where, the things that happen in nature can be attached to an archetypal language meaning. So, you know, there's like all these ideas about if you see this animal, it means this in your life. You know, why does this animal keep showing up for you? What is that animal? How does that animal behave? How is your behavior mirrored in the behavior of that animal? Now, don't I know. I think that's groovy. Like, that's really cool stuff. But,
1: mm-hmm.
2: And I also think there's this incredible value in just experiencing just being there with the animal without attaching anything more to it. This is also what creates like the fertile ground for people to do their own kind of self-directed eco-psychology in a forest bathing walk. Because I'm not going to ask you that kind of question. I'm not gonna send you out on an invitation and say, find an animal, think about how it's like you, think about how it's not like you, think about what that means. You know, I'm going to send you out and be like, find an animal and just watch it. Listen, you know, use your senses to really witness and observe the animal. And then if you do that for enough time, spontaneously, people might have those experiences about analyzing their experience. But it's not because I asked them to do it. And that's where it's really critical for me is that I feel like I'm I'm kind of manipulating your attention if I'm saying, start with the analysis and then see where it goes. I want the feeling to come first. And then if the analysis comes, that's fine. Because I didn't make it happen. I didn't, I'm didn't. i not going to open that rose with that pro right?
1: Yeah. I think even the analysis for the person analyzing, if you don't go into it analyzing, I think whatever it is that comes up is going to be a lot more organic and what you need than if you're going into it thinking, what do I need,
2: (laughs) you know? Right, exactly, exactly. Don't start from a, like, a place of lacking. Yeah. Like, start from a place of wholeness.
1: I love that.
2: You belong here, just like the chipmunk or the tree or whatever. Like, yeah, you're, you are here. I think of this also with the, the thing about it being an embodiment practice, where my sense is that when I'm sitting with a tree, the tree knows that I am there, but it doesn't know that Ben Page is there. And it doesn't have any real interest in the Ben Page as a concept, <laughs> as, a, as a character. It initially recognizes me, perhaps because it can sense the downward pressure of my body on its root system. That might be how it first feels me. And then it might notice that I'm exhaling carbon dioxide, which allows it to breathe. And so, in that way, it welcomes me unconditionally because it's like, great, there's a mammal here, yeah, and that mammal is sitting here, and like we are, we are literally exchanging particles of our bodies with each other, becoming more closely related, and it doesn't matter what I, you know, what my life is like, it, it doesn't, it's not going to hold back the healing because. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a Democrat or you're a Republican or you're a atheist or you're spiritual or what. It just doesn't it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you look like. That's this thing about kind of this unconditional love that I like thinking about this a lot where people this is not something I come up with. This is something that a lot of people report is feeling unconditionally loved by the earth. And I totally get that because it's like you are the earth. And the earth loves itself unconditionally because it's in this constant state of transformation and you're going back to it. Like it accepts you as a part of itself. You are not separate. That's where, you know, oh, we're hitting the deep end again. This is where, you you know, the ego is this kind of illusion that we're attached to, that we have a, a concept, an abstract idea of who we are. And we're really... Focused on that most of the time, and feeling unconditional love towards that part of ourselves is really hard because it's—I don't know if it's like possible. You're gonna feel loved by the whole world. There's a great expression from the South about you might be the sweetest peach on the tree, but some folks just don't like peaches. <laughs> yeah, and that's true. And that's true. And it's it's very ethically complicated because of course whether you're a vegan, vegetarian, omnivore, whatever we are all engaged in a process of eating, of eating other life forms. So like, for me, when you zoom out in like this kind of eco psychology, eco philosophy, where you kind of zoom out, it helps me to think that I'm not separate from the earth, I am the earth. And so when we talk about experiencing ourselves as nature, that's kind of what we're saying. There's nothing you need to do to be good Mary Oliver writes a lot of poems about this. You know, you don't have to be good.
1: Yeah. Just be just, you yeah. are
2: just be. Yeah. That's fine. Just be.
1: I love that. I think that's actually the perfect way <laughs> to end. Just be, but that's, yeah. yeah. that's all you have to do. That's all for us. There. But there's,
2: there's one more piece to this though. Okay. Is that unconditional love is a reciprocal concept that you know, if we if we expect to receive an unconditional love from the earth, we also need to learn how to practice it towards the earth. And this is actually something I'm really fascinated by because we, you know, I go do forest therapy in a lot of different places, done it all over the world. And there's a constant bias towards like we should try to do this in the most pristine place possible the most undisturbed natural place possible and I'll tell you some of my best walks one of my favorite walks ever I did in downtown Houston in a little urban farm garden and there was you know highway and helicopters and hip-hop music you know coming out of cars and it was amazing and it reminds me that you know every place is a place of honor And there's no separation. It's all the earth. And so when we talk about an unconditional love towards nature, we have to learn how to see it all as being worth our love. That it's not just the places that are like, you know, national forests or UNESCO World Heritage Sites. We create an artificial separation between nature and not nature. It's all in our heads. You know, we tell ourselves, oh, I love nature and it's over there. It's right here. It's in your body right now. It's everywhere. So when I think about this thing of unconditional love, you know, I live in California, so we get these wildfires. And, you know, the last couple of weeks, we've had a ton of rain. And the rain brings these mudslides and things like that. And, you know, people love California when it's beautiful, when it's like perfect blue sky and the sunshine, you go to the beach, like... And then where does that love go when it's not so easy and the way i talk about this with people is i say you know imagine you have like a sick relative do you stop loving them because they're sick no right that's crazy like that's the time that they need the love the most so when we're working on this relationship with the earth i think it's really important also to think about you know loving the places we live and loving all places without creating this distinction between like nature and not nature
1: So what you're saying is you don't have to go to Yellowstone.
2: No, wherever you you are, wherever you find yourself, there is nature there because you're there, but there's also everything else around you. It's all part of this one massive transformational Gaia Earth thing, you know, and then when we can understand this thing about our ego characters, we can take that a layer deeper and say, oh, not only can I practice this anywhere because everywhere I go is nature. Like, There is no me to begin with. Like, That's not the point of our experience. And that's kind of controversial for folks. I get a lot of um, healthy dialogues about this where it's like, are you saying life is meaningless? I'm saying, no, it's just that it's all happening right here, right now. So if you're missing all of that at the end of your life, if you've never actually been here and now, I think you may have missed something important. That's where we can end it.
1: I love it. Done. Period. Okay. Except I have some rapid fire questions for you. Oh, okay. Great. (laughs) Because we got to end on that. Um, Mustard. Yes or no?
2: Uh, Sometimes.
1: Really? So is that somebody told me, I have a friend who swears that if you don't like pickles, or if you don't like mustard, then you don't like pickles. So are you pickles all, sometimes? Pickles you? are also
2: sometimes for me. No, he's right.
1: <laughs> I think he's right. <laughs> Favorite type of tree?
2: Ooh, we'll go with maples.
1: Oh, maple. So you did pick one. I'm pretty, Okay, I thought you were gonna have anyway, a philosophical reason. I, <laughs> I,
2: I, you told me this was like rapid fire. I could go is, on for a while. It is. You gotta, um, you
1: gotta keep going. You got We'll say maple. Okay.
2: Pinion pine. Pinion pine. A close second.
1: Okay, maple then pine. Longest extended amount of time outside.
2: Oh, is time even real? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Weeks, I guess.
1: Yeah, weeks. Okay. Cilantro. Oh, definitely.
2: Yes, yes.
1: I agree. Beaches or mountains?
2: Ooh, that's so hard. I know. I really love both of those. I know. I guess if, if it's like you can't not pick, I guess I would take mountains.
1: Oh, well, I know the answer to this next one. After your intro, cats or dogs?
2: Oh, yeah, cats for sure.
1: This is not as rapid fire. You can take a little bit of time if you want, but go with quick if you can. Five minutes left to live. What do you do? Who do you call? What do you say? I know know it's hard. Everyone hates this one.
2: You know, part of my practice is about living with a sense of spontaneity. So I don't know if I can answer this question apart from saying I would just listen to my heart and do whatever. My heart said, this is again, like the mind can't even wrap itself around that kind of a question. It's like, you don't know what you're going to do. You really just don't know. If you know you have five minutes left to live, I don't think anyone could say that they know what they're going to do. It's going to come very, very strong and very suddenly in that moment. You'll know what you got to do, but you won't know what it is until you get there.
1: True. And you might not have a phone. (laughs) You might be stuck all by yourself.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I probably just like want to savor the experience of being alive for five minutes. Like, just get out of my head, right? Probably just do sit spot.
1: (laughs) Probably just. just I I kind of feel like that's what forced breathing is—is assuming that at the end of this time, it's done. Like, we're just we're here. We're here in this moment. We're not looking off into what could possibly be next.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like. There's a lot of kind of potential answers about like doing something vaguely spiritual kind of thing, you know? But I think honestly, it's like it comes back to just the most simple phenomenon of just being like, that's the best part. That's the best part. The best part is now.
1: Yeah, I love it.
2: The best part of life is always right now. It's the only real part.
1: (laughs) I love love it. You keep having these chiller endings, it's perfect. (laughs) Okay. Well, then we're going to wrap up there, Ben. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today and to talk to everyone listening. And we will put your book again in the show notes. And just thank you for everything that you do to cultivate relationships between each other, for each other, with nature. You've been an inspiration to me and I appreciate you so much.
2: Likewise. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Hey friends, thanks for listening today. If you would like to read Ben's book, I've got a link to it along with all of his information in the show notes, along with my Forest Therapy website page. This is actually a whole new way of life for me, and I just want to encourage you just try something. Just try 20 minutes outside putting into practice some of these ideas that Ben shared with us today. And if you do need any help, I would love, love, love to take you on a walk or even just chat with you about how you can start incorporating this practice into your life. I promise you it will be life-changing. Thanks so much for listening today. Thanks for listening to the Chronically Well podcast. I do plan on having more podcasts out this year since I have a bit more time to focus On that. So, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, remember to live your life chronically well.